Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Crime Army. I am your host, Margo, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome to my house. Today's case is a bit different than any other I've covered so far. Maybe it's because for the first time on military murder, the spotlight is on a Coast Guard retiree. Or maybe because as you listen to this episode, you will feel like you are watching an episode of The Sopranos versus feeling like you're watching an episode of Snapped. And researching this case was quite the doozy. It made me reminisce to my days binge watching that show I just mentioned, The Sopranos, one of my all-time favorite TV shows. So yeah, this is a bit different. So let's dig in. My sources for today's case include various court filings in the case of U.S. versus Zecca and in the case of Schmidt versus Zecca, in addition to an affidavit filed in the Southern District of Florida and various news articles found in the Florida Keys Keynoter, The Reporter, and The Miami Herald. I don't normally give a background on military branches, but I did want to provide just a few facts about the Coast Guard since quite honestly, I was and still am a bit ignorant before researching this case. This next tidbit is straight from Wikipedia, so don't judge me. The U.S. Coast Guard is a maritime security, search and rescue, and law enforcement service branch of the United States Armed Forces. The Coast Guard has been around since 1790. Can you believe that? That's a long time. They have jurisdiction in both domestic and international waters, And unlike the other service branches that operate under the Department of Defense, the Coast Guard operates under the Department of Homeland Security during peacetime, but it can be transferred to the Department of the Navy under the Department of Defense by the president at any time or by Congress during war. But going back even further, the Coast Guard operated under the Department of Treasury from 1790 to 1967. Then, from 67 to 2003, it was under the Department of Transportation. Anyhow, not sure if anyone found that interesting, but I thought it was interesting because I had no clue that they didn't fall under the Department of Defense like the rest of the armed forces. So, who am I going to talk about today? Today, I am going to talk about Dennis Zecca. Dennis Zecca is a retired chief warrant officer. At the time of his retirement in 2006, He has served in the Coast Guard for 27 years. His last assignment was as a commanding officer of the Coast Guard station Isla Morada in Florida. When I first read that a chief warrant officer had command, I was a little confused since usually only military officers command. So, of course, I took to my Facebook page to find out from any of my listeners if a chief warrant officer in the Coast Guard could actually take command. And sure enough, it's legitimate. It was, you know, you can take command. Well, 
I stalked the Coast Guard Isla Morada Facebook page to learn a few things about Dennis's last position. And according to the page, Isla Morada Station is located about 87 miles north of Key West Plantation and serves the surrounding areas of Isla Morada, Tavernier, Key Largo, and South Miami-Dade County. On the daily, the station is charged with conducting missions of drug interdiction, aids to navigation, search and rescue, and other law enforcement missions. It also states that, quote, Station Isla Morada responds annually to approximately 200 search and rescue cases and interdicts 100 migrants attempting to illegally enter the U.S., end quote. After his 2006 retirement from the Coast Guard, Dennis dabbled in various businesses, and by December of 2012, he was part owner of the Marathon Marina and Boatyard in the quaint town of Marathon in Florida on 11th Street. In late summer of 2012, the Zeccas, him and his wife, they purchased a house at the Indigo Reef Resort in Marathon. The house was worth $650,000, but they actually took out a 400000 balloon loan in order to make the purchase. According to reporting by the Keys Keynoter, Dennis was into local politics, and since May of 2010, he and his wife had donated $5,800 to various campaigns around town. Marathon is a small island located in the Florida Keys, conveniently located between Key West and Key Largo, and its website boasts that while they are a small town community, they have all modern conveniences, the best airport in the Keys, a FedEx hub, high-speed internet, and they have virtually no crime. But that wasn't the case in 2012. On December 16, 2012, Dennis Zeka, six years retired, seems to have forgotten his core values because on this day, he was chatting with one of his employees about a cocaine drug deal. I am going to call this employee Bob. Now, Bob had been down on his luck since leaving jail not too long ago, and he was on probation, but Dennis nonetheless wanted to help this guy out. They had been working this drug deal for a hot minute, but on this particular day, Sunday, December 16th, things were different. Dennis had an additional job for Bob. It was a hit. A what? A hit. A murder for hire. Bob was like, come again now? You want me to do what? And Dennis was like, yeah, there's this guy. Someone needs him dead. And if you take the job, you can either have one kilo of cocaine or $20,000, whichever you choose. Bob couldn't believe his ears. Seems like a pretty risky deal, but he really needed the money. So why not? Dennis could see the hesitation in Bob's eyes. So he assured him that over and above what he got in compensation for doing the hit, he'd also get money to get out of town and lay low for the next few weeks after the murder. And with that, Bob was like, all right, dude, count me in. And Dennis took the next two days to plot and plan exactly how Bob would execute the hit. The target of the hit was a marathon businessman by the name of Bruce Schmidt. Dennis then drove Bob by Bruce's house and coached Bob along the way that it was up to him to visit Bruce's place of employment to get a good look at the guy. God forbid he killed the wrong person. <laughs> well, Dennis also told Bob to buy a Tyvek suit, which, according to the affidavit, is a disposable protective coverall often used for painting to protect your clothes from getting damaged or paint or whatever. 
Dennis was like, listen, you can buy one of these at the Sherman Williams in town. Bob, of course, was taking notes. He'd never performed a hit before and he didn't want to get caught. But Dennis had more instructions. He told Bob that he'd provide him with the gun. But after the murder, Bob was specifically to disassemble the gun into three pieces, then drive over the seven mile bridge in the Sunshine Key and dispose of the gun parts in different parts over the bridge. And Dennis was specific. He was like, listen, don't be an idiot and stop your car at the top of the bridge and get caught or seen throwing crap over the bridge. Drive over the bridge, lower your passenger side window and just toss it out over the bridge into the water. Then, seeing as Bob was not listening and hadn't actually purchased a Tyvek suit, Dennis was like, fine, don't worry, I have one at the business. Head over to the marina and grab one from the supply closet. Then come to my house. And Bob did as directed. On December 20th, Dennis was ready to put the final step into motion. Bob showed up and Dennis provided him with a nine millimeter Beretta. But Dennis was no fool. He wiped his fingerprints clean off the gun. Bob took the gun and realized it had no magazine for some reason. But Dennis was like, don't worry, listen, you can just put a bullet in the chamber and still shoot the gun without a magazine. So Bob, never having done this before, was like, okie dokie. Bob asked Dennis, so when do you want me to do this? Dennis was nervous and he was like, listen, do this ASAP before the new year. No diddly daddling. And Dennis had the perfect idea. He figured a rich guy like Bruce would be hopping from Christmas party to Christmas party. So he thought after a Christmas party hit would be great because Bruce would be nice and saucy and boom, take him out then. He won't even know it hit him. And Dennis had just the Christmas party in mind. In fact, there was one that very night. So Bob, not wanting to disappoint and probably wanting to get his hands on some money, was like, "Okay, consider it done. And with that, they parted ways. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer, and she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus, which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra Uniform Papa Papa dot com 
Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGOT, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. The following day, a man of his word, Bob showed up at Dennis's place, and he had the news. He had done the deed, and he had proof. He had a picture. But Dennis, now, the ever-so-eager man who wanted to hit accomplished ASAP, he was backpedaling. You did what, he asked Bob? Bob was like, the guy's done. And Dennis said, quote, listen to me. Listen, I wish you didn't do it. I wanted you to hurt him, not to, to, to do that, end quote. Bob, the amateur hitman, was like, wait, what? What? You told me to kill him. You gave me a gun. You told me how to get rid of the gun, which, by the way, I got rid of. So now I'm confused. Dennis then realized, yeah, I did want you to do it, but not here in this small ass town of Marathon. Now the heat is on. Everyone's going to be talking about it. Bob was still confused. Like, yesterday you said do it ASAP. I was down for waiting until he was out of town, but you said no. Bob was not taking any prisoners. He did the deed for either $20,000 or one kilo, and he wanted his money. So he told Dennis in not so many words, listen here, man, I don't want no problems because we're buddies, but you're going to get me my starter $5,000 tomorrow night. Dennis was like, I don't have your money right now. I have to get it from the people. And Bob was like, quote, who, Ralph, end quote. But Dennis assured him it was not Ralph, but instead it was Ralph's people. Dennis was getting worried. He said, I'll give you my money. But Bob didn't want Dennis's money. He wanted the money from whoever ordered the hit. Bob changed the subject, informed Dennis he was going to get rid of his phone just in case, and he would buy a burner phone until this was all over. Then Dennis said he was going to be sick. Bob told him, listen, don't worry about it, but get the money. And with that, he left. Dennis stuck around his place for a little bit, but then he went outside. He helped some lady in a car. And then as he was walking off, he didn't get too far because he was apprehended by the FBI. You see, what Dennis didn't know that warm December day in Florida when he first broached Bob about the murder for hire plot was that Bob was a confidential informant for the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. They had been surveilling Dennis Zeka, retired Coast Guardsman, because they knew he was involved in the cocaine dealing business. So imagine their surprise when their confidential informant came to them with this sinister plot twist. A murder for hire in the small town of Marathon. The DEA immediately on December 16th contacted the FBI and was like, uh, listen, there is a hit out for Bruce Schmidt, a prominent Marathon business owner. And it just so happened the FBI agent knew Bruce well because they had been working this other investigation. Oh my word. When I tell you this case is so twisted and insane, it will make your head spin. It will. So keep up. A few days later, the FBI paid Bruce a visit and they were like, listen, sweetie, we need you to leave the country. Someone put out a hit for you. What? We are not kidding. You need to get the hell out of Dodge. The FBI asked Bruce to name anyone who he knew wanted him dead. And he named one person by the name of Ralph. Then they kept pressing him and said, who else? He named another person, a lawyer in the town of Marathon. 
But none of those people were Dennis Zeka. But the FBI didn't reveal to Bruce who ordered the hit. Before the visit ended, the FBI told Bruce to leave town now. But before you leave, we need an itsy bitsy favor. We need a picture of you playing dead on the ground in your backyard. Bruce was getting sick to his stomach as he was hearing this, but he knew he had to leave right before the holidays. Bruce's poor wife had to take the picture of her husband lying in the backyard, and then they sent it to the FBI. The FBI then used Photoshop or some similar program to add a bullet wound to the head and blood to show Dennis that the job was taken care of. You see, most, if not all, of the conversations between the confidential informant, who I called Bob, were caught on a hidden wire worn by Bob. So on December 21st, 2012, the confidential informant went over to Dennis and said, boss, the job is done. Then he showed him the bogus picture. Then, as if out of a scene from the family guy, the confidential informant was like, where's my money? Where's my money, bro? And Dennis was like, oh, you know, I got to get it. You see, Dennis didn't know that Bruce was not actually dead, but he was scared shitless that the hit he had called was actually accomplished. You would think that a smart military retiree would know never to order a hit and then be shocked when it actually occurred. Although in this case, I would say that Dennis Zeka got pretty darn lucky. The confidential informant had to keep playing his part and he was playing the tough guy at this point. When Dennis left his office, he spoke to some lady in the car and then he walked towards his car. But at this point, the FBI agents approached him and he was under arrest. Dennis was charged with murder for hire, conspiracy to possess cocaine with the intent to distribute, attempt to possess cocaine with intent to distribute, and transfer of a firearm to a convicted felon. And Dennis's shenanigans would not only cost him, but they would cost his wife as well. Dennis's wife, Mary, was a Middle Keys real estate agent, but she soon lost her job. Turns out she was affiliated with a real estate company owned by the family of Bruce Schmidt, the intended target of the hit her husband ordered. While Bruce Schmidt was thankful to still be alive, he was afraid to come back after Dennis's arrest because the hit could technically still be out for his murder. So he stayed out of the country for a good bit of time. And it wouldn't be long until Dennis was finally brought to justice. But if the FBI thought that Dennis Zeka was going to be taking anyone down with him, they would be wrong. Because Dennis Zeka was a lot of things, but a rat was not one of them. A week after his arrest, Dennis requested bond, but his bond was denied. You know why the judge denied his bond? Because a search of his house turned up a safe containing four handguns, four rifles, two shotguns, and $42,000 in cash. According to the Florida Keys keynoter, the U.S. attorney argued at the hearing that Dennis was not only a flight risk, but a danger to the public. And on top of this, within days of Dennis's arrest, the confidential informant began receiving calls from Dennis's associates offering bribes and threatening retribution. And to quote the judge, Judge Lorano Snow, quote, this is pretty scary evidence. I've been on the bench for 26 years, and this is the first time I've encountered a real time 
murder for hire case, end quote. At the bond hearing, Dennis's wife, Mary, testified about the family's debt. They were in the hole $1.8 million and their monthly expenses exceeded the monthly cash flow. The debt was due in part to the fact that they owned four homes and three vehicles. In response to, okay, so why did you have $40,000 cash in your house? She said it was money they had saved up since 2003, consisting of Christmas bonuses and gifts. But the U.S. attorney was like, not so fast. When the FBI raided the house, you guys had a completely empty safe that looked like it had been recently cleaned out. So you know what? They weren't buying the Zekka's sob story. But Dennis's attorney pled for bail. He asked for $750,000 bond, an ankle monitor, the whole nine yards. And he argued, quote, everything he has is here. Everything he loves is here. He's as pure as the white in his uniform, end quote. Which I found kind of funny considering that Dennis, at the moment that he said that, was wearing a black and white pinstripe jail suit. Then I learned something new during the bond hearing that I heard. Apparently, the informant had actually spent 12 years in jail before he was placed on probation. So, of course, the defense attorney was like smearing his name. He's like, you can't take his word for it. He's a liar and he's a convicted felon and yada, yada, yada. But seriously, as I mentioned, almost all of Dennis and the confidential informant's conversations were caught on audio. So he really didn't have a leg to stand on. And the judge was not buying any of it. And he denied bail. And as if he'd watched way too many Sopranos episodes like me, Dennis pled the fifth and never, ever spoke. Surprisingly, that didn't keep the prosecution, however, from offering a plea deal, one that seemed too good to be true for Dennis Zeka. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. After it was all said and done, Dennis pled guilty to murder for hire. And in an interesting turn of events, by pleading guilty to this charge, he never had to throw anyone else under the bus. Also, the maximum punishment for murder for hire was only 10 years in jail. And by pleading guilty to the murder for hire, the other three charges were dismissed. Oh, and by the way, the two cocaine charges, he faced potential of life in prison for those. So it was a pretty good deal. 
I got my hands on the sentencing hearing transcript and boy, was it an ordeal. We got to hear from the victim himself, Mr. Bruce Schmidt, and he had a lot to say. And I'm going to spend a few minutes synopsizing what Bruce said, because many of you may think, well, you know, at least he didn't die. But yeah, there is still a lot of injury. Bruce starts off with thanking the confidential informant for, you know, quite frankly, saving his life. Bruce said that while he didn't know Dennis, he met him one time when Dennis provided Bruce with the name of a landscaping architect for some City of Marathon beautification program. On December 19th, 2012, Bruce recalled getting a visit from Special Agent Patty Thompson of the FBI. Apparently, Bruce already knew Special Agent Thompson from being involved in a different extortion case involving some other dude from Marathon. This other rando dude allegedly tried to extort $150,000 from Bruce and his brother. And when the FBI showed up on this particular day, Bruce was really excited to think, oh my gosh, finally, this is going to go under investigation and it's finally heading somewhere. But instead, Bruce got different news. Thompson and three DEA agents walked into Bruce's office and without skipping a beat, they were like, who wants you dead? And Bruce was like, uh, hello, is this a joke? Bruce could only think of one person. So he provided the name, Ralph. The agents were like, no, try again. And Bruce pulled another name from his sleeve, but he doubted it could be that person. Well, those names didn't ring a bell to the agents, but they needed to help Bruce plan for him and his family's safety because someone wanted him dead and they were willing to pay $20,000 to get it done. And the agents were like, while you're planning, make sure that you leave the country, okay? Bruce was pissed. First, who the hell wanted him dead? But second, he had plans to spend the holidays with his 86-year-old mother, so what the hell? The agents left his office, and Bruce, still in shock, went to his mom's house to celebrate his son's birthday. When he got home, he had four missed calls from the FBI. They were calling to inform him they could not guarantee his safety since the hit had been ordered for the next 48 hours. What in the actual hell, Bruce thought? How can this even be real? But if he thought for one moment that the FBI was yanking his chain, the next morning their request would get even more bizarre. Right before Bruce and his wife Ginger were set to get the hell out of Dodge, the FBI called him with one more favor. They asked him to stage a picture of him outside in the backyard, laying on the ground with his eyes closed. During sentencing, Bruce told the judge, think for a moment that you had to stage and pose for your very own death. Bruce pled to the judge to not have any mercy on Dennis, mostly because while Dennis had confessed to attempted murder, he had never indicated why he, a person who didn't even know Bruce, wanted him dead. And to top it off, Dennis refused to give up any of his potential co-conspirators. Bruce then presented the judge with a few questions that continued to baffle Bruce. First, why is the maximum punishment for attempted murder only 10 years, but the maximum punishment for drug smuggling is 20 years? Why did the U.S. Coast Guard promote someone like Dennis to a position of commanding a Coast Guard station and not conduct any sort of investigation into his activities while he was in charge, even after he had admitted and bragged that he has smuggled illegal drugs in the past. Also, why was there no trial on the charges? 
A litigated trial would allow the facts to come out. And finally, why did the FBI arrest Dennis so quickly instead of allowing him to lead them to his co-conspirators? Bruce couldn't understand why they would agree to a plea deal that allowed the government to drop charges for conspiracy to smuggle illegal drugs and providing a handgun to a felon in exchange for him pleading guilty to murder for hire that only had 10 years maximum. And you know what? He didn't even have to disclose his co-conspirators. Bruce also shared in a sentiment that is common among victims everywhere, quote, I do not understand why criminals, felons, and the guilty have more rights in this country than victims. Why do victims have no say in how their cases are handled, negotiated, or even settled? This seems to me to be a grave form of discrimination, end quote. Bruce asked the judge to vacate the plea agreement and send the case to court, although he knew that was not a plausible request. And when Bruce was done, the U.S. attorney argued to the judge that this was not a case of a novice going to a professional hitman. This was a person, Dennis, talking to his protege. Dennis not only ordered the hit, but he was involved in the planning of the murder. Here's the weapon. Do it here because of this. Get rid of the weapon here. The prosecutor made it a thing to say, listen, judge, Dennis is pointing at his military career for you to have mercy on him. But you know what? Let's flip the script just a little bit, shall we? Quote, but for those of us who have served, know that when we leave the service, we bear an additional responsibility not to bring shame on that service, not to embarrass that service, not to create headlines that say former Coast Guard officer pleads guilty in murder for hire case, end quote. And the judge made sure to clarify, you mean Coast Guard commander, not just officer. Quote, he failed the test of character. That is, what do you do when no one is watching or when you think no one is watching? End quote. Then it was the defense's turn to get up and argue their case. And the defense argued that those four little days in December 2012 were an aberration. But the defense argued it doesn't erase the 34 years of his adult life including the 27 years that he spent in the military before then. Additionally, while we no longer live in a justice system where it's a life for a life, according to Dennis's military record, he saved between 40 and 90 lives during his military career. Whoa! Then the judge was quick to cut him off by saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Quote, it's so wrong that it almost does wipe away everything else. I'm not saying it does because clearly it has to be looked at and considered. But, you know, it's like, I don't know how you get from A to B. I don't know how a person who is truly as gifted and accomplished as your client can. I don't think you do that in four days. I don't think you flip a switch and become a murderer or a prospective murderer like that. End quote. <laughs> now, the judge was clearly pissed and he goes on for a bit of a rant and then says, quote, there's either you weren't A in the first place and you faked it for 30 years, or this is something really important, which I think only your client can clear up, and he hasn't, end quote. And then it appears to me that both the U.S. attorney and the judge, they may have been prior military because the judge goes on to tell the defense, yeah, 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 I've read all of his commendations, and you know what? I've also written many of them, and I've also received some of them, so you can't fool me with those. Yikes! And you know what I say? I say amen to that judge because sometimes those performance reports are inflated, if you know what I mean. I suspect the judge was flat out pissed because 
he lets on that he as a judge has received many a death threat before. Kind of comes with the territory. But the fact that Dennis Zeka, a retired military man, actually hired someone to do the deed, that really ticked the judge off. Anyway, the defense must do his job. So he attempts to continue constantly being interrupted by the judge who is just straight upset. And I imagine him in, you know, Judge Judy kind of upset. That's what I imagine this judge was just from reading the transcript. But eventually the defense gets into some pretty personal stuff that was affecting Dennis Seca at the time of the crime. Apparently in 2012, Dennis went from being just a social drinker to being a daily drinker. In fact, it was more like an alcoholic because he would drink and he would hide it from his family. The defense asked that whatever sentence be given that Dennis be allowed to continue in a substance abuse program. And with that, the judge was like, all right, thanks. Dennis, you are sentenced to 10 years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release, which, by the way, is the maximum allowed. While on supervised release, Dennis is prohibited from possessing a firearm or other dangerous devices, as well as the regular conditions. According to reporting by Ryan McCarthy, Dennis was ordered to complete his sentence at the Federal Detention Center in Miami, a place that, by the way, has housed several international drug cartel leaders, including Manuel Noriega, former Panamanian dictator and drug runner, Sal Magluda, cocaine kingpin, as well as convicted Al-Qaeda operative Jose Padilla and Ponzi schemer Scott Rothstein. And while in most cases this would have been the end of the case, in this particular case, it wasn't. This was the end of the criminal case, but the civil suit would soon follow. In 2016, Bruce Schmidt, the intended target of the hit, filed a civil suit naming Dennis and two unnamed people the alleged co-conspirators which he called John Doe number one and John Doe number two. Bruce claimed he was suffering from severe emotional distress and mental suffering in the form of devastating psychological trauma, extreme anxiety, fear, and debilitating anger. His condition was documented by a licensed psychologist by the name of Dr. Coven, who indicated that Bruce actually suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Bruce claimed he also had lost a lot of money from his business due to having to deal with the aftermath of the hit on his life. The suit also claimed there was a civil conspiracy and Bruce asked for a jury trial. This civil suit in and of itself is a beast. There are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of pages of filings, amendments, affirmative defenses, transcripts, and many more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the cliff notes to the cliff notes. In 2016, Bruce's claim was only against Dennis and those two John Does. You see, Bruce knew that Dennis was only the middleman and he was trying to force the Does to come forward. Then in 2018, Bruce got his hands on some FBI documents that were less redacted than the prior time. So he decided to amend his claim. He had a name for one of the John Does in his original complaint. And this person was named Ralph. Lucignano. Well, Ralph happens to also be a marathon business owner, and it turns out that he and Bruce have some beef going back a few years, something about some liquor licenses and marathon and some business stuff. According to the pleadings, Ralph is a marathon business owner, 
One business in particular was called the Marathon Liquor and Deli. And Ralph was also former City of Marathon Planning Commissioner. Ralph was also a former cop. And in 1980, he was allegedly arrested for fraud and forgery in New Jersey relating to alleged kickback and forged check schemes while representing the Jersey City Police Officers Benevolent Association. Of course, Ralph denies these claims. Ralph and Dennis Zecca were close friends, but Ralph and Bruce were not. In fact, Bruce Schmidt had married Ralph's ex-girlfriend, Ginger. Guys, I told you this was going to get confusing. In any event, Ginger, just like Dennis's wife, happened to be a real estate owner. And even though Ginger was married to Bruce, she would occasionally show real estate to Ralph, her ex-boyfriend. And Ralph apparently still had a thing for Ginger. In 2012, he made a crazy statement. During a showing, Ralph allegedly grabbed Ginger's thigh and said, quote, I'm going to get Bruce out of there and move in, end quote. So in addition to this kind of you stole my girlfriend type of thing, there was the liquor license issue I mentioned earlier. So long story short, Ralph owned this kind of mom and pop liquor store. Bruce was trying to introduce a chain like liquor store, like uh, like a Publix or a Walgreens. And Ralph was constantly opposing it like, hell no. If you bring a big chain like that, my business is going to go down real fast because I can't compete with those prices. And apparently this was the real crux of the infighting between Bruce and Ralph. But in this civil suit, Bruce finally revealed a potential motive for Dennis to hire a hit money. As we know, Dennis was in the hole a lot of money, but he needed more money because he was trying to partner up with some folks to purchase the Knights Keys as well as the Banana Bay Resort and Marina. He needed upwards of $500,000. So Dennis was already looking at getting about $200,000 from his cocaine purchase. But according to Bruce, that would still leave him short roughly $300,000. So Bruce claimed in his civil suit that Dennis and Ralph hatched a plan. Dennis would kill Bruce for Ralph and Ralph would give him the money he needed. So you're probably wondering what documents did Bruce use to reveal the name Ralph as a potential co-conspirator? And I believe the answer is the newly less redacted documents from the FBI, including an FBI document requesting a full field investigation be initiated and naming Dennis and Ralph as subjects to murder for hire. Well, in 2019, Bruce amended his claim yet again, this time asking the court for permission to pursue punitive damages. That's basically over and above the amount of money that he's asking for, medical or anything that you can actually put a dollar amount to. Also in 2019, Ralph responded to the claim. In essence, denying the entire claim and also claiming that, you know what, the statute of limitation has run in this case since the statute of limitation is four years and he was not named until 2018. But for unknown reasons, Bruce's claim against Ralph would never see the inside of a courtroom because in December of 2019, they settled out of court. As reported by the Miami Herald, the settlement will likely be for over a million dollars, and the agreement involved Ralph leaving the small, quaint town of Marathon. But Ralph continued to deny any involvement in Bruce's murder for hire plot. Ralph's attorney, Joseph Clock, spoke to the Miami Herald 
And he basically said, we're too old for this. Ralph, by the way, was 80 years old at the time of the settlement. Mr. Clock advised his client, you either pay me as your attorney or you pay Bruce. But if you pay me, you may never get Bruce off your back. The settlement involved Ralph paying Bruce $300,000 cash, Ralph selling his marathon house and Bruce's wife getting a 10% commission on the sale of the house plus a $50,000 finder's fee. Ralph will then pay 3% commission on the sale price of whatever house he ends up buying. And if Ralph thinks he's sneaky and he wants to sell any of his three marathon businesses, then Ginger, Bruce's wife, will get 10% commission on those sales as well. So I thought it was interesting because Ginger really seems to be the real winner in that settlement. The civil suit against Dennis Zeka and the remaining John Doe's stood. In that case, at least the one uh, against Dennis Zeka went to a jury trial in early 2020. According to reporting by David Goodhue of the Miami Herald, on January 28, 2020, a Florida Keys jury awarded Bruce $17 million in his civil suit against Dennis Zeka. What? The split came down to $1.1 million for lost wages and medical expenses, $1 million for pain and suffering, and a whopping $15 million in punitive damages. The judge issued a default judgment since it appears that Dennis never bothered to even respond to the civil suit. And remember, the case was initially filed in 2016, but the jury came up with the amount owed. After the civil suit concluded, Bruce finally felt vindicated. He knows he'll never get that money from Dennis, but he's happy that his pain meant something to the jury. His life was worth more than just 10 years in prison. According to a memorandum sent from the Department of Justice to Bruce, Dennis Zeka is scheduled to be released from prison on June 29th, 2021. So what do you think? These murder for hire cases are probably the scariest to cover. And boy, do I have more of these types of stories to tell you in the future. If you like this show and you want more, please stop for a minute and make sure to rate the show five stars on Apple Podcast. It really does help me to grow the show and it helps other people discover the show. And remember, for as little as $1 a month, you can listen to the show completely ad-free. And just a little secret, I usually release the show a day or two early, so that's also a little perk. And there are other ways in the Patreon fan club that you can get more content. So check it out today, patreon.com slash military murder. You can find me on social media on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast or on Facebook at Military True Crime. Shout out to my newest show supporters, Casey L, George T, Celeste, and Karen R. This episode was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. This week's newest assistant producer is Loette J. The music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. <laughs> Shh, let's work another podcast.